0: Hello, everyone. My name's Graham. I'm here to help. Apparently, um, I'm jumping into our—that uh, was a really wonderful time—jumping into our sermon, uh, second week of a of a series that we're doing over the next few weeks that I'm really looking forward to. Um, called "Through the Noise: Following Jesus into Challenging Places." Um, here's a little bit more sausage making, um, giving you behind the veil. Um, these are the two questions. When I come to, uh, actually to, to this part, to doing a, a sermon, to preaching, but even more so um, when we're sort of planning a series, we tend to do series every now and then. We just say to you know people, come up and just sort of preach on whatever's on your heart, and we do that. But we like to increasingly, as a teaching team, teach to a series. And this, I'm so looking forward to our teaching team. We're going to come up and continue to talk around this idea um, of through the noise, acknowledging that, um, that following Jesus, particularly in spaces like your workplace or your, your family, um, in your sporting sort of club, at school, uni, places where there's maybe as many if not more people who aren't following Jesus, there's like a white noise. This is the, the idea of sort of trying to communicate. There was a time, well maybe there wasn't a time, There certainly isn't a time where if you say, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus, that everyone automatically in the lunchroom stands up and claps and goes, that's brilliant. We think there's nothing better than that idea. I'm not sure if there ever was a time when that happened. But there certainly has been a time and a world that we live in where um, everyone acknowledged and was okay or thought it was the best idea for how we should shape our life and culture was trying to have um, kind of apply the teachings and what we find the truth in scripture in our legal system and in our education system and in our um, welfare system in fact that they exist as systems because people who are following jesus saying we should do it this way we should shape our world this way now we're in what's called a post-christian world where people don't say well no the best thing to do would be to try and figure out what jesus would do and do it like that now it's kind of it's not the opposite And you know, if you've been around, you know my hesitation to use the P word, persecution. Be very careful. Sometimes when you've stood at the middle of things and everyone's agreed it's good for you to be at the middle of things and you're not at the middle of that shift, feels like persecution, and it's not really. It's not really persecution. It's just not being at the middle of things. What's really clear, Christianity is not at the middle of things anymore. And there's white noise. At the very least, there's white noise So following Jesus, which is the language we like to use in Cornerstone of living out our faith, being serious about our discipleship. We're following Jesus. I like, there's a simplicity to that. We're just trying to follow Jesus. We're going to speak to that. But that can be challenging when people not only aren't cheering you on, there's actually, there's hostility. We can name that. There's hostility to that. So over the next few weeks, our teaching team are going to come and speak. And Josh sort of um, started last week. Out of our own life experience, I've got sort of a story I want to tell you about my learning and growing in this space where God really did something in me that's shifted, really important, Um, in a very practical way. um, And coming into this, I'm always thinking, how do we shape this? Because if this is going to be really worth your coming out on a Sunday, I mean, who, after last night, the glory and wonder of last night and this weather, the fact you're all not at the beach I'm, I'm humbled and blessed by that, um, and I feel like the best thing I can do is to make sure that you're coming and going to receive something that God does. And so that's so much of our conversation as the team is around, how do we make space for what God's going to do? Because that's absolutely the best use of our time. So the question, what do I think God is wanting to do in this, as we've shaped this, and Josh and I in particular sort of talk as our teaching pastor, what's our sense of what God wants to do? Because then that gives clarity, because actually we're not, I'm not so kind of super spiro that we just all stand back and wait because it's just all of God. No, 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 it's not the way it works. We work with God. We cooperate with God. So there's, when we've got clarity about what God might want to do, you know, it brings clarity to, well, what's our bit? And so... Coming into this, I've certainly got a bit of clarity of something that I think, that I really actually more than think, I need to be honest. I really believe God wants to do in us. Um, And there's something for me to do this morning. But I, I, it crystallized for me around this idea. Josh sort of referred to it last week. What do I think, uh, something important that only God's do of eternal value. And sort of in this area, I thought about strengthening our spiritual backbones And softening our spiritual hearts. Because often, when the opposite of this happens and we live out our faith in the world, when we've got weak spiritual backbones and hard hearts, everybody loses. Trying to live out our faith. So it's soft hearts. And strengthening our spiritual backbones. Again, that's not something I can do. But I really feel, I really feel, and we're going to spend some time uh, this morning, just before we close responding to what I think is an invitation there um but before we do I do also feel before we get to that I feel like there's something this morning that I that I want to do that I can do because actually it's often people with microphones and roles like mine that maybe have contributed to a sense of what it is when you walk into lunchroom or you walk into a family dinner a family get-together or you you're at school or you're just talking with your neighbors that often the clarity or the sense of what is the if if I want to be serious and authentic about living out my faith and sort of representing Jesus in this what should I do how we frame that picture maybe you've never even asked it that clearly But what should I do if I want to be serious about following Jesus? If I sense that God's calling me to kind of stand for him or be a witness, however language. Often the way we frame that, and I certainly found in my life, the way we frame and answer that question sets a course and an expectation that may not be helpful. It may be actually adding, you know who's bringing the white noise? We are. So, quiz time. Does anyone know... what this picture is of, and when there's a prize. No, there isn't a prize. I don't know why I said that. That was just an out-and-out out lie. I just made up. There isn't a. I just need. There isn't a prize, Carol. Before you go, just to be clear, if you still want to answer, that's what Yes. Almost exactly. Not in, yep, No, no. It was 1959. That is Billy Graham, with the greatest respect. Me, were you? You were there. In, who, who was there in 59? Who was there? Okay, I'm going to come back to This is the MCG. To this day, go and research this, go and fact check me. The biggest crowd ever in the MCG was for Billy Graham. Hundred and something thousand. Hundred and five thousand? Biggest crowd ever was for Billy Graham. In 1959, Billy Graham came to Australia. Now, the one, that there's Billy Graham there. Billy Graham, if you don't know who Billy Graham is... Um, it's kind of in the conversation for maybe the most famous Christian in the world. If you know if that's a thing in Culevia. It's certainly in the Western world over the last, in the modern period. He was a, a preacher and evangelist and he, starting in the 50s, but then through his own life, he only passed away in, I think, 2018. He was 98. An amazing man. And the way in which God had singularly used his life. The ripple effect is huge. I'm going to talk about it in a moment. But The the thing he was known for and uniquely gifted for was to be able to stand in those contexts. There's the Ecker, that's that's uh, the um, you know the ring. What do they call that? The showgrounds. So that also in 1959. So who was there at that one? Where are you, Jenny? Could you just? Oh, you are. You're on the yeah. There you go. Yeah, that makes sense. We would assume that Muriel. We're talking spiritually or practically here. You're up the top there, yeah. So, what Billy Graham would do, if you're not familiar, um, just incredible at uh, what what's often referred to as a simple gospel message, where he would explain the nature of humanity to be fallen and falling short of God's grace, to explain how Jesus is the solution to that, and then call people to put their trust in Him. Uh, literally, a come to Jesus moment. That's. And there are many, many people who had incredible ministries doing this, but probably none more who, had, who did it in front of more people and had more of a worldwide impact than Billy Graham. As I was coming, um, as a sort of young adult, coming into leadership and consciousness and sort of the broader... Uh, get together with Christian leaders, and often people would do a similar thing that I just did, like massive big auditoriums, and, and to demonstrate the impact of this kind of ministry, and Billy Graham specifically... Hands up if this was where you came to faith, you rededicated your life, or where you first decided to go into full-time Christian ministry. And the first time I did did that, particularly a 20-year-old, the number of sort of 40 or so years and above, mind-blowing. So Billy Graham had, I'm really comfortable with this this statement, an historic impact on the Christian church around the world and particularly in Australia. Amazing. Um... As I then, and, and particularly this was what he would do, this amazing way of presenting the gospel and calling people to respond. Completely understandable when you look around and see the ripple effect of so many people, and particular people who came in ministry, then in the 60s, 70s and 80s, who were, were there and impacted, this is what changed my life for Jesus, I want to change others for Jesus. I then reflected into it sort of into my early 20s as I started living out my faith I think a lot of what we're training and doing is trying to go that looks good if I can just do that here so if I can do what's going on there in this conversation at the dinner table because what Billy Graham does is so in there's so much fruit to it What we need, and and so many leaders, who wouldn't necessarily say it about Billy Graham, but thinking about the impact of this ministry, shaped by it, would go, rather than just have one Billy Graham do that to 100,000 people, what if we had 100,000 Billy Grahams doing that to one person? Now, there's some good logic to that, except what? Your kitchen table doesn't look like that. And I reflected on this, and there was a particular um, story I'll share in a moment, where I, as I started to, in by, this is now the 80s and 90s, and started to be intentional about talking with uh, in context where I wanted to represent Jesus, and I kind of had became a chaplain and sort of a professional Christian, where it was then my job as well. It's like there's white noise to this. And I'm trying to unpack, why is it that the ways in which I've been taught, and it feels like no, no one ever said, you need to be like Billy Graham. But as I started to reflect on that, I thought... Con- maybe there's something that it's a bit akin to Saul's armour. So you know the story when David clearly has a sense of purpose to go and fight Goliath, and Saul says, hey, you're going to need this, and put his big heavy helmet. He was only a young teenager, a big heavy helmet, and a breastplate, and, kind of, and Saul's like, well, this I'm going to die. If I go out, I can't move, I'm going to die. And so in his confidence, took it off and said, I think all I need is my slingshot. That's what God gave me, and I've got a sense of purpose. If, By the way, in practice, if you hear out of this or say, what did your pastor preach yesterday? He said, well, Billy Graham was the reason why the church is ineffective in the, you've misheard what I'm saying badly. I'm not at all an historic effect, because he was faithful to the context and the gifting he had. But he had a specific vocational ministry. But then my observation is, maybe by design uh, maybe sorry not maybe not by design this sense in which all we need to do is have these kind of conversations even that this is not a, he's not having a conversation with 100,000 people is he it's a very clear presentation of the gospel i was a chaplain um young chaplain 20 i don't know 20 23 20 i knew nothing whatever that was um and i was it was a big school dacobin high school north of Brisbane, 1,600 students, full-time chaplain. It was, it was one of the few. I think there was only one other at the time, full-time chaplain. And a massive part of that role was to teach RE. Now, it's called RI now, but back then there was the, the expectation and the opportunity. This is when, just as the starting the expectations and shiftings away from going, yeah, 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 we all understand that actually Christianity, even if I don't believe it, it's good for us. It's starting to really change and shift, and I'm doing that. And now RI is something different. And to be honest, because it may be an example of the story I'm going to tell you, not necessarily a bad thing, but I had incredible opportunity to walk in. I had a curriculum that was written for me, effectively to kind of do the Billy Graham thing, where I went in and I knew how I was going to get from here to here. And in that, to a bunch of um, 17-year-olds who were actually there to do um i think in this particular class was a science class but i would come in oh re today and everyone's oh well okay we need to listen they didn't ask me to come in and i'm going to tell you about jesus and i had a curriculum it was getting a really good curriculum it'd been researched um and i'm kind of about three months into doing this and it's horrible it's a horrible experience for everybody mostly me because they didn't care they didn't ask for me to be there, and I've got a really I've got a lesson plan. I've got a, I know, and I'm pretty good at presenting this, but because they're so disengaged, I'm constantly having to do behaviour management, and kind of trying to do this winsome message about Jesus loves it, but then also giving the tensions and kind of, it was just horrible. And in a moment of pure desperation, I remember the moment so clearly, pure desperation internally, of kind of going, "This is not working, help." you know um i'd love to say this happens all the time but it just doesn't i was so it was one of those moments in my life where i was so clear that god was i was like i'm almost observing myself doing something that wasn't my own idea that kind of thing where it was just and i went okay right stop and there must have been something in my tone that everyone actually did and listened. they must have heard oh this sounds like whatever happens next is going to be interesting and i said okay what i want you to do Everybody who thinks that the spiritual mumbo-jumbo, there's nothing more to life. What you see is what you get. When you die, you're worm food. If there's nothing more, to life. if that's you, you don't believe in anything, I want you to come and sit in a moment, come and sit on this other room. And then I don't care what it is, but if you think there's something more out there, um, that, you know, there's, there's something more to life, you, you've got some sort of sense of spiritual, that's not about Christianity, but you think, no, no, there, I think there is something. I want you to sit on this side. And if you're not sure, I want you to sit in the middle. And they moved. And then I said, okay, you guys in the middle, I want you to ask these guys, why? Just ask them. Ask them a question. Why is it that you believe that? And then after you've done that, I want you to ask these guys, why do you not believe? And then I just sat back for this incredibly engaged conversation between the peers, between them. And every now and then I sort of redirected it and give someone else a go, but 25 minutes. Wonderful conversation. And I listened And I learnt, oh, this is what's going on. Now, at that stage, I thought, oh, I see what the Holy Spirit's doing. Shut up, Graham, and just listen. You're going to learn. And it definitely was that. But then something thoroughly unsurprising that was the the beginning of me understanding to not wear Saul's armour because they were sort of one, they were asking in the middle, there was a cu- couple of guys, and one person in particular, who was like clearly on a spiritual, like clearly questioning, and asked the question here, and I forget the, the details now, but asked a question here, and he's like, well, well that doesn't make sense, and I said, so, well, that doesn't, you know, there's this, it's kind of ground to a halt, and this guy says, turns to me and says, yeah, why is that? And I kid you not, and maybe this is over-exaggeration of what it felt like, 25 eyes all stopped and turned, And looked at me and went silent. And I got invited into their conversation to answer questions they had. And I'd love to also say at that point, it was then everyone fell to their knees and it was a come to Jesus. (laughs) It wasn't. But it absolutely reshaped me in thinking, because what I'd done was just bring in my agenda and assume a whole lot. Actually, what was going on was a, a... Uh, to a degree, a hard heart to not listen to the Holy Spirit and actually see them as people, as loved young men and women who are objects of God's grace, who deserve to be treated like that rather than people for me to just give my stuff to. Now, again, that's not Billy Graham's fault. But I I recognised in a lot of spaces, that's what I was doing. The problem is, these these are sort of this... These are not real pictures either, by the way. Um, these are actually images from the... Uh, they're not in black and white. Um, these are the contexts. Actually, there are some contexts when Jesus... If we're following Jesus into the spaces, there are some contexts that look like that. So this is like a, a sort of a rendering of the Sermon on the Mount. There's times when there's crowds. Actually, often the crowds are following Jesus. They're not there to listen to him. They're trying to have individual conversations. But there are some contexts like that. It's legit. Again, that's legit. But actually, mostly what we hear about how to live out our faith in the world are in context, Josh shared this last with the woman, we get this insight into his conversation with the woman at the well. How many times he's around dinner table with, you know, the the tax collectors, with sinners, with Matthew, with Zacchaeus. This this is a representation of um, Nicodemus coming to him. Think of the rich young ruler. That's actually... I would contend, the far majority of the times when Jesus is doing that thing of living out his faith in the world. That's the context. So if we're to follow Jesus, but we're shaping what we're doing in that moment around the idea of taking a... And this was absolutely, I realized, what I thought was mine to do. So in this conversation, if I sense that there's a sense of purpose, if it was someone in my, in my a friend or in my sporting club, and I felt listening to the Spirit or feeling like, oh, I need to stand up here and do something, I then thought my job is, how do I get this conversation around to talking about these things? This is something Josh, um, I think he showed a while ago, so this, yeah, you might remember this. Uh, Barnard did, did some research overseas, um, asked non-Christians, if, uh, are you open to having a spiritual conversation? If so, what would be really important for you to have a conversation as a non-Christian with someone who wanted to talk about spiritual things? So the way to read this quickly, 62% of those said, "Yeah, I'd be open to have a spiritual conversation." So it, it, it's really part of the research was to put, was to sort of kill this idea that people aren't interested in the things of the spirit or of God or spiritual things anymore. 62%, or more than that, all the people who said yes, which was a majority of people said, "Yeah," but it'd be 62 of them said it's really important that it doesn't feel like because I think differently they think I'm less of a person. Now the 34% was when they said. Oh, do you know a Christian who's good at that? Only 34% said, yeah, I do. Now, the judgment one's tricky because sometimes people feel judged when, you just, when you've got a different view on a, on a moral or behavioral issue. So, and the thing when it says judge, and even in, in the Christian circles, we can be confused. The thing when Jesus says judge, not, but it's just because someone thinks differently, their value and worth as an individual is not on the line. The jury's in. Judge not lest you be... done. If someone doesn't think, act, behave, believe the same as you and you want to understand what God thinks about that, look at the cross. The jury's in. Their eternal value is not up for grabs and it's certainly not in your or my hands. And that, it's amazing. When you establish that with a friend who thinks differently, you can talk about anything. You can disagree about anything. When people know that actually, sure, we're different, we might, we might have vehement disagreements, but I don't think any differently about you. And that's what they're saying, yeah, those kind of people. Yeah, but I'm not sure I know a whole lot. So it goes through here. Someone who doesn't force a conclusion. Think about what I was doing in that context. Josh talked a bit about this last week. Allows others to draw their own conclusions. Well, there's really only one answer here. And until you get it, I'm going to keep banging on about it. Look at the gap. The point here is to look at the gap in what people are saying. Confident in sharing their own, perspe- uh, in their own perspective demonstrates interest in other people's stories, good at asking questions. The gaps in the conversation when the other person talking is not just so you can think of your next answer. It's clear, you're listening. That was, again, not from any genius, but that sitting back and kind of go, oh, I'm listening. And then when I'm drawing in, because i have been listening, I've got something far more valuable to say that's starting from where they're at. Again, if... And, and I'm, um, a big thing I want to do here is remove that expectation that the goal is for you to defend the rationality of the gospel. The more you defend it and argue people into the kingdom, and there's a place to answer someone's questions. The more you do that, the more it seems weak. God doesn't need you to defend him in that sense, as though you're, we're worried that unless it all adds up, That somehow it will be God at stake who comes. He doesn't need that from us. Being a witness is something you are, not something you do. We are witnesses to the goodness of God. Make sure that's happening in your life. Someone once told me the biggest gift that you can give is the context of being a pastor, but it's really true of your relationships with people. The biggest gift you can give to someone is your own growing relationship with Christ. You have something to witness out of. I'm going to get the, the team to come up. I, so there's the, there's the armour I want to take on. I don't know if you were wearing that. I, I, it's not Billy Graham's fault. It's no individual. I, I am so blessed. I can point to so many places where because of the ministry of Billy Graham and the people who came, I am so blessed because he was faithful to what God called him to do. That doesn't mean it's a pattern for what we should all be doing in our conversations, taking, just trying to do that little thing here. But it's about being present. And this is where we need, if I can, sorry, Josh, if I can just get there, we've got one more slide there. Um, Asking God, I I want to create some space from time here. Remove Saul's armor. the way I think and the invitation here, the thing that God can do. So this is me saying, if you've ever heard that from me or someone like me, I don't think, if you've ever felt that, I don't think that's helpful. I think when we do that, we add to white noise and load you up with an expectation. And what actually happens is when the church, good men and women get loaded up with an expectation they don't want to fulfill, they go, I'm not doing that. And our spiritual backbone starts to get Impacted because there will be opportunities and times when the spirit's asking you to stand up and say something. It's just not the four spirit, may may not be the sports four spiritual laws. It's probably unlikely to be God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't. I've got all these things about how to share a gospel and turn it around. It's probably going to be a moment where you're going to have to say something about you. When I walked when I had to step into that question and share, I don't remember what it was. I remember being far nervous. Then I walked in, hiding behind the curriculum I had to teach. I was relying much more on the spirit in that moment, and it took my far more spiritual backbone to step in and be me than to deliver something. Let's spend some time, because I think this is an invitation for all of us, for you to colour in the lines what this is because I think there's probably something for all of us where we sense we need a little for God to infuse our spiritual backbones with a little steel a little Holy Spirit steel and there's probably something for all of us where we recognize we need a softening towards someone and maybe an openness to listen to what God's saying what we're going to do I can't do that I can just say I think on the other side of that is a sense of liberty and freedom that into those relationships, you don't feel like you've got to borrow someone else's armor. You can just be you. How about that? Just be you. Honest, walking with God, freeing. We're going to spend some time just worshipping, doing that, asking God, responding to God, and then we'll um, come back and, and finish our time.